Great, thank you. Well, good evening, folks. It's good to see you again. And uh, tonight we're continuing our sermon series, as John has said, Guys and Gals of the Bible. And personally, I really enjoyed having the opportunity to look at a whole range of different characters from the Bible, and also from lots of different periods in the Bible as well. Uh, That's been great. And the character that we're looking at tonight, I find particularly interesting and I really like. And I'll tell you why I like him in a moment. Uh, As we begin, I've just got back from a week's retreat in a place called Taizé in France. And Taizé is a Christian community of 100 brothers, 100 monks, from uh, a load of different denominations, a load of different Christian denominations. So it's an ecumenical community, about half of whom are Protestant and half of whom are Catholic, Roman Catholic. And they're also from a load of different countries as well, over 30 different countries, Some are in their 20s and some are in their 80s. So it's a really broad community. And uh, they live out the calling that God has placed on their lives. Their calling is to be a place of reconciliation. And their church there is called the Church of Reconciliation. And uh, it's all about reconciliation between us and God and reconciliation between us and each other as well. So it's an outward-facing community that exists primarily for the sake of others, and particularly young people. And they get thousands of visitors every week, I mean literally. When I was there, there were a thousand guests, and that was a small week for them. So it's a really quite substantial community. And uh, they have three services a day, uh, morning prayer, midday prayer, and evening prayer. And their services are so full of the Holy Spirit that people are changed by visiting Taze. And it's because they value and honour the presence of Jesus. What strikes me most about this community is that they've been so transformed by the presence of Jesus that there's a holiness and a purity to them that when you see it, it has an impact on you. And the reason I like the character that we're looking at tonight so much is because to me, he is one of those people. He's someone who demonstrates what it means to live a pure and a holy life. He's someone who, quite literally, as we'll come on to see, shines the light of Jesus. His passion for Jesus leads him to the very end. And uh, as, as we've already heard, he became the first person to die for his faith in Jesus. He became the first uh, martyr of the Christian church. And uh, as we know, we're looking at Stephen tonight from Acts chapters 6 and 7. And uh, as we begin, I just want to give you a bit of context to the passage we're looking at tonight. So we're in the book of Acts. The day of Pentecost has taken place, and the disciples have been so powerfully touched by the Holy Spirit that they're driven to tell everyone and anyone they can about the message of Jesus. There are healings taking place all over the place of uh, diseases and illnesses, and people are set free from oppressive and tormenting evil spirits. 
And uh, there are two reactions to the disciples at this point. On the one hand, people hear the disciples' message with, with joy, and they respond gladly. There's massive church growth at this point. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus just on that day. And people are becoming Christians every day. And there are also those who really struggle with the disciples' message, and especially the Jewish leaders. In the previous two chapters alone, in Acts chapters 4 and 5, the disciples have already been arrested twice. And uh, as we come to look at the character of Stephen tonight, what we see is the same tension. Those who welcome the disciples' message gladly, Stephen's message, and those who oppose it with death threats, and more than just death threats, as we'll come on to see. If you remember back to when we started this series, I gave this little Bible overview to uh, how we can view the Bible in like six acts, in like a play. So we had, uh, there we go, there's our, oh, and there's a reminder about the after cafe, that's a personal thing there. Uh, <laughs> you're going to see all my notifications coming up now. So uh, there's, our, there's our six acts thing. So we had uh, act one, creation. We had act two, the fall. We had Act 3, redemption initiated, looking at the people of Israel. We then had Act 4, Jesus. And uh, Act 5, looking at the church, redemption proclaimed. So redemption accomplished in Jesus, redemption proclaimed by the church. And lastly, uh, Act 6, glorious renewal. And it's the day we're all longing for, the day we pray, come Lord Jesus, the day when Jesus returns. But tonight, we're looking at Stephen, and Stephen falls into this one here, Acts 5, uh, Redemption Proclaimed. And this is really at the core of who Stephen is. And uh, the story of Stephen is such a short story, but he's also a great example of someone who was willing to give up everything for Jesus, literally everything, in the end, even his life. Because he'd been so touched by the love of God, his life had been changed, that he wanted everyone and anyone to know about it. Robin's testimony is a great example of someone who's been touched by Jesus and then wants everyone to know it as well. So we're going to jump straight in, and uh, I know we're not in the church with the usual Bibles, but it would be great if you have a Bible with you to turn to that, or I know lots of you have phones with access to the internet, so this is the time you can get your phones out in church. So if you could turn to that passage, that would be great, and uh, we're going to follow along together, Acts chapters 6 and 7. And the first time we hear about Stephen is just before the the first passage we had read to us in the first few verses of Acts chapter 6. And uh, one group of Christian converts from Judaism was receiving criticism from another group of uh, converts that their widows were being overlooked in a daily distribution of food. And uh, the disciples say this, sorry, the apostles say this in verse 2. 
it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And that seems really arrogant. I mean, who do these guys think they are? Yes, they're the twelve. Yes, they're the apostles. But in the end, they are still human. They're still like me and you. God doesn't love them any more than he loves us. He doesn't think they're any more important than we are. Do these guys really think that they are above the distribution of food? Have these guys forgotten the fact that their first calling in life is to be servants of Jesus? And it's really easy to read that verse in that way. But that's not what the apostles are are getting at here. The apostles know their calling in life. And the task of distributing food was taking them away from that primary calling in life, which was to teach and to preach. And so they say this to the other disciples. They say, Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And they say, We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word, their primary calling. And on that basis, they choose Stephen and six others. And the passage says this about Stephen, that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And that requirement to uh, distribute foods to widows seems pretty high. I mean, this just was a regular job dealing with regular people. Look at how many people need the food distributed to them. Look at how much food you have and distribute accordingly. I mean, this was a regular job. And most of us here, we have regular jobs or we go to regular schools and we deal with regular people. And yet the requirement for that role was to be people who were full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Again, of Stephen, it says in verse 8 that he was a man full of God's grace and power and that he did great wonders and miraculous signs amongst the people. But this is a really different way to view work. I spend most of my time with churchy people doing churchy things. But most of you don't. Most of you who work in the real world, or who go to school in the real world, or who go to groups with non-Christians, spend most of your time on the front line. We did that course of rollback, Life on the Front Line, and we all have front lines. Those places where we're engaging in real life issues. Those places where we're meeting, on the whole, probably non-Christians. We all have front lines, but you guys really have front lines. And it's really easy for us to think of work as this 
thing that we just have to do in order to make some money in order to live. But this, this way of viewing work sees it first and foremost as a calling, as a place God has called us to, and as our place of mission and ministry. We're to be ministers of the gospel in those places. And if we are to be ministers of, of the gospel in those places, then we're the people as well who bring the presence of Jesus into those places. The people will look at us and see something different about us and about the way we live. Not that we're boring or irrelevant, but completely the opposite. Again, Robin spoke about how we met those people, those uh, Christian guys in New Zealand, and how it was that that really struck him. We're to be those people, those people who don't live boring or irrelevant lives, but actually lives that are totally fulfilled, lives that really are abundant lives, lives that speak into world situations because we're hearing the voice of the Father who's speaking in to world situations. And uh, Stephen goes about his day job of distributing food to widows and sharing the message of Jesus. And as he does so, he performs miracles. So Stephen needs to be a person who is full of the spirit and wisdom because his day job is the place of his mission and ministry. If our places of work or our schools are going to be our places of mission and ministry, then we too need to be people who are full of the spirit and wisdom. We need to be people who are being continually renewed in the Holy Spirit, continually filled with him, that people see us and then see Jesus. The apostles knew their primary calling in life, to teach and to preach. Stephen knew his primary calling in life, to share the message of Jesus in his regular day job. And for most of us, that's probably going to be the same. I mentioned earlier that the message of Jesus seemed to evoke one of two reactions in the listeners. One was people received the message gladly and became followers of Jesus for themselves. Or the other was that they were deadly against it. And as Stephen goes about his regular job of distributing food to widows and sharing the message of Jesus, a group called the Synagogue of the Freedmen, Freedmen were Roman prisoners who had later been set free, or descendants from freed Roman prisoners. Uh, the group, the, a group called the Synagogue of the Freedmen tried to oppose Stephen and the message he was preaching. But earlier in Luke's Gospel, Jesus had said this. Jesus said, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And that was Stephen's experience. The Jews who were trying to oppose Stephen could win nothing over him because the Holy Spirit was giving him a wisdom that no human wisdom could compete with. And so instead, they resort to lies 
and deception. And they produce false witnesses who accuse Stephen of blasphemy and of speaking against the temple, the temple which to the Jews represented the presence of God. It's worth saying that uh, if these Jews really didn't accept Stephen's message, then uh, they probably would have thought that what he was saying was blasphemy. But nevertheless, they twist Stephen's words. And Stephen is brought in front of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, to defend himself. And as he stands there, and the Jewish council look at him, verse 15 says that his face was like the face of an angel. And it brings to mind Moses in the Old Testament, whose face glowed with the glory of God, having been in God's presence. So here's Stephen, who the Holy Spirit is so powerfully resting upon that his face is glowing with the glory of God. And as Stephen stands there, he knows that his life is in the balance. The Old Testament punishment for blasphemy was to be stoned to death. And Stephen knows that. And so as he stands there to present his defence, his defence is not defensive. He doesn't begin by clarifying what he actually did say or giving reason upon reason about why he said what he said. And instead, he tells a story. And it's that section of text that we didn't read out earlier. And he tells them the story of the people of Israel, their history. And it's a story that they all know very well. And he reminds them how their ancestors, how God had raised up in their ancestors, person after person, to bring, to bring, to bring deliverance to God's people. But how time and again, God's people had turned against that person and how they'd gone against the law of, of Moses. And uh, finally, when uh, Stephen gets to the punchline, uh, there's a silence and people are not expecting it. We all heard Boris Johnson's speech recently, this past week. None of us were expecting what he came out to say. Well, uh, Stephen's punchline also is unexpected. And uh, he says this in verse 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. He says, our ancestors continually turned against the people God raised up to bring about new things. And you're doing the same. He uses strong language, but what he's trying to say is, don't be like them. He's saying, you've got an opportunity to engage in the new thing that God is doing. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He's pleading with them. And it evokes a response in his listeners. 
and if his listeners really were, were prepared to engage in the new thing God was doing, i.e. new life uh, and salvation through Jesus rather than through the law, if they really were prepared to engage with that, then the response it would have evoked would have been one of repentance and of a turning to God. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preaches his amazing sermon, oh, Ed's calling me from my phone. Do ignore that one there. That's fine. <laughs> if, uh, if they had been prepared to engage in that new thing God was doing, it would have evoked this, uh, this repentance. But that's not what happens. On the day of Pentecost, Peter's listeners were cut to the heart. That doesn't happen with Stephen's listeners. Stephen says that they have uncircumcised hearts. They might do all the right things as far as the Jewish law is concerned. They might go to all the ceremonies, do all the things they had to do on the outside. And on the inside, they were dry and they were dusty. And it was hard to find life. And rather than being cut to the heart, Stephen's listeners drag him out of the city and they stone him to death. And just before Stephen dies, he looks up to heaven and he sees a vision of Jesus and the Father. Jesus standing to welcome him into the kingdom. And Stephen follows in the footsteps of Jesus. And just as Jesus prays on the cross, so Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Forgive them for their sin. Stephen follows Jesus to the cross. And my prayer, of course, is that we would be a people of circumcised hearts. What we see in Stephen, what I saw in the brothers at Taze, is someone who so passionately loves Jesus that he will give everything for Jesus. There's no compromise here. And if our hearts are soft enough, then there will be times that we too are cut to the heart when we too are brought to repentance so that we might come closer to God, so that he might pull us closer to himself. Stephen's face shone because he'd come to understand the humility of complete dependence upon Jesus right to the very end of his life, that he could trust Jesus with everything, with everything. We each have ministries in life. And for most of us, that's going to be on our front lines at school or at work, dealing with normal people in a regular job. And Jesus is calling us to serve him faithfully in those places, to be ministers of the gospel in those places, even when it's costly. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us with that. We pray together, guys, as we end.
Father, I thank you so much for the example of Stephen. Lord Jesus, I thank you for his example of humility and purity and holiness. And Lord Jesus, we long that that will be the case with us as well. That we will be so madly in love with you, that we would willingly give up everything for you. Jesus, we even pray, if that means the cost of our life, then we want to be willing to be able to pray that as well. Because you are more than worth it. And I thank you, Jesus, that you have given us ministries, uh, often in our places of work or our schools. Would you help us, Jesus, to serve you faithfully in those places? We do want to be ministers of your gospel there. That people would see us and see you. That we would be cut to the heart by your spirit, so that we might come closer to you. And then through us, through our words, that you bring others to repentance as well. That we would see Aldridge, the West Midlands, and even England changed for you. So Holy Spirit, we pray for your empowering in that. Thank you, Jesus, that Stephen was so dependent upon you. Teach us to do the same. Amen. Yes.